Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer, and today we have another presidential candidate on the podcast, Montana Governor Steve Bullock. Here's why he thinks he stands out in the field of more than two dozen Democrats. He's the only one to win re-election in a red state when President Trump was on the ballot. Trump won Montana by 20 points, Bullock won by four. But we talked to him when he was in San Francisco the other day about some things where he's a little more conservative than many of the progressives, like how he supported the construction of the Keystone XL pipeline. And we talked to him, one of more than a dozen white men in the race, about how he owns his white privilege. Governor Steve Bullock, next on It's All Political. Governor Steve Bullock, welcome to It's All Political. Welcome to the city of St. Francis, San Francisco. It's great to be with you today, Joe. That's what, that's what Pelosi calls it. She always refers to it today. Now, your pitch is that you are the only candidate who, had, who won in a red state uh, with Trump on the ballot. Trump won Montana by 20 points. You won by four. So, I mean, I wanted to get your, first, your take, first of all, as sort of a, uh, as a pragmatic progressive, as you pitch yourself. You're here in San Francisco. You've, you've been around town like a day or so now. You've seen the homeless in the streets. You've seen, you know, about the high cost of housing here and feces and needles all over the place. What would, what should be done about stuff like that? And how how do I solve not just the country's problems but but San Francisco, San Francisco, <laughs> and we have we only have a couple minutes. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, look, you know, on the one hand, all politics is local, and you are getting the point in this community where. Teachers, police officers, others are even priced out of being able to live in this community. Mm -hmm. So how you handle that, other than having decent policies of turning around and saying, how do you build more affordable housing in a very compressed community? Um, it's not without some challenge, for sure. Um, you're, Manny's the other night in the Mission District, and um, we talked a little bit afterwards, and you said that there's... Uh, things that people who live on the coasts don't understand about red state America. What, what don't people understand about red state America? Well, I look, I think whether you live in San Francisco or whether you live in rural Iowa, most folks actually want and value the same things, right? You want a safe community. You want a roof over your head, a decent job, uh, clean air, clean water, good public schools, the belief you can do better for your kids and grandkids than yourself. Necessarily, but but I think that it's also that we run into at times that when you got forty four percent of Americans that if they had a family emergency they wouldn't have four hundred bucks in their pocket. When you have say today fifty percent of thirty year olds are doing better than their parents were at age thirty. Back when I was growing up, it was ninety percent. Mm -hmm. When you have folks where they say that this economy isn't necessarily working for them. And or two-thirds of the counties in the country that have lost businesses over the last decade. I worry at times where we talk about, like, look, I've worked darn hard in Montana as an example to make sure that college is affordable and accessible for all. Froze tuition this year. Froze tuition six of the eight years. Have the fourth lowest tuition fees in the country. Um, we've changed ways to get access to two-year colleges. But it's but like one example, if 
our party is just viewed as, all right, we got to make sure that college is free for everyone when not everyone's even going to go to college. Um, I think that's a challenge. I think that there are, you know, folks just want to make sure that they can stay in their communities and have a decent job. And we need to win back some of those places that we lost in 2016. Places like the Wisconsin, the Pennsylvanias, the Michigans. So we have to be able to show up, make a connection, have folks that believe and understand that we're fighting for their economic, educational, healthcare opportunities. The other day at the California Democratic Party convention, you, maybe you saw this ad that's going out now. Uh, uh, one of your fellow Mountain West governors, uh, uh, or former governor, Hickenlooper of uh, Colorado, he said, um, if we want to be Donald Trump and achieve big progressive goals, socialism is not the answer. Um, he is not for Medicare for all, and that was what triggered that comment. Where do you think your fellow Democrats, as you, you sort of alluded to there, you, just, you know, free college tuition is a challenge. Uh, where do you think your fellow Democratic candidates are going a little too far left or asking too much uh, uh, for the rest of America? Well, I don't. Look, you know, in some ways I'll leave it to the pundits and the voters will ultimately make that determination. Right. I think that what I bring to this is not only of winning, but also governing, of recognizing that I have to balance budget each and every uh, year. I need to make sure that government can work. I mean, think about the first two, two and a half years of the Trump administration where they were trying to get rid of the Affordable Care Act. Yeah, they're giving a lot of speeches. They're doing a lot of things. As a governor, you see it right immediately on the ground because you see people without health care. You know what a difference it can make. So I think that the energy and excitement is that there from all 23 of the candidates. Uh, ultimately, it's hopefully through this process we turn around and say, yeah, everybody agrees that health care should be accessible and affordable for all. Everybody, you know, the only industrialized country in the nation that doesn't have um, both access and affordability. And so, so, you're, so, you're not for uh, uh, Medicare for all. You're for universal coverage and, and a public option. Yeah. yeah, public option, negotiating prices for uh, prescription drugs, uh, ending surprise medical billing, ending out-of-network costs, charges, getting so automatic enrollment of Medicaid. But I'm not necessarily for 70% of you know, the current folks that are covered are covered by employer-sponsored health insurance. If I was building the system from the beginning, maybe I'd do something different, but I'd much rather move that along in many respects. It's too much chaos uh, to, to transfer all those folks who are, have their own? Well, well, I think other than cost, for the most part, they're happy with the program that they have. You know, that when we passed, when the Affordable Care Act was passed, at one point, President Obama had said, and I think it was just for high-risk plans for a million people, if you like your doctor, you can keep them. And when that didn't yeah, happen, that didn't happen. Here's a broken promise. Yeah. So the aspirations, right? The way that you get there, I may <laughs> disagree with, but let's all, as Democrats in this field, you know, respect and understand that we all agree that everybody ought to have access to affordable health care, and that's in big contrast when the. Trump Department of Justice is trying to strip away the opportunity for like coverage for pre-existing conditions, lifetime medical caps. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the environment for a little bit. Uh, anybody who's been to Montana 
knows that it's an unbelievably beautiful state. The only time I was there, I got to say, was when the Unabomber was uh, captured. That but that was, right? <laughs> I've always wanted to go back. <laughs> Come See, back so, sometime just for fun. I have, Joe. A, I have a friend who's just moving there, and I'm I'm going soon. Um, and you've done a lot to protect public lands there, uh, but you're you're going to get some heat certainly in this race uh, for your stand on the for supporting the the Keystone XL pipeline. And uh, after President Obama rejected it, you wrote to to him and you said, or you said to him, President uh, Obama's decision to deny approval for the Keystone XL pipeline is wrong and bad for Montana. The jobs, economic benefits, and energy security the pipeline would afford Montana, especially eastern Montana, are now lost due to the dysfunction that has come to define Washington, D.C. even ran an ad uh, touting that, uh, how you stood up to him about uh, President Obama about a coal, keeping a coal plant in Montana open. Now, millennial voters, uh, you know, the environment is, is uh, an extraordinary uh, of importance to them, much more than other, other folks. What do you say to them about this? Well, and, and the environment is so important to me, not only as a governor who had the, our state's worst fire season two years ago, mm where our farmers are having different planting seasons, but also as a father of three kids. And I think that there are direct steps that we can take. You know, the IPCC says, okay, we have to address climate change. We have to be net emissions zero by 2050. I think we could do it a lot earlier. I mean, first rejoining Paris, going on and taking the steps of, not even the auto industry wanted to get rid of these, the cafe emissions, the fuel efficiency standards. Mm. Things that the, the Trump administration rolled back. Yeah, and more than that, the most antiquated piece of machinery in this entire country is probably the electrical grid, mm. the way it's been cobbled together. <clears throat> it isn't sufficient when you look at putting more renewables on wind and solar. We've doubled our wind capacity in Montana just in the last six years. We've quadrupled our solar. So I think that there's a heck of a lot more that can be done and committed to doing it for sure. And you're sort of an all of the above uh, in terms of energy. You're you're okay with coal or where are well, you at I, coal? I think it, the, Montana's a big coal state for people who don't uh, yeah, know but, that. Yeah. But, but I mean, coal is no longer even profitable. And we're seeing coal plant closure after coal plant closure. Mm -hmm. The IPCC says, you know, that it's impractical to go in the immediate term and just say, let's shut all these coal plants down. So mm -hmm. I think what we need to do in the interim is recognize um, as we wean off of coal, um, we have to be taking steps to also mitigate the impacts of greenhouse gas when it comes to coal. So that's why doubling, you know, our wind, quadrupling our solar, stopping every effort in my legislature to roll back opportunities for more wind and solar, getting rid of renewable energy standards. I think there's also something that we need to do too along the way is that we have to ensure that, you know, as we go through this transition, and we have to hasten, we have to speed up the transition, mm -hmm. But we're not leaving communities behind. I mean, you have... You're talking about the, the coal yeah, miners. Yeah, and you these, have this is a, these individuals, are your constituents. Yeah. Well, and you have individuals that have worked in the industry <clears throat> and energy. You know, they've powered this country for a long time. Absolutely. And at times, you know, Democrats almost say, well, they're horrible for what they do. Not like we need to have a social contract to say, let's say that what are you going to do next? We just passed a law... 
um, this last legislative session is brought by a union member, a boilermaker, and said, you know what, as we start to clean up as coal strip, one of our coal-fired plants closes in 2022, we're going to have prevailing wage. We're going to have skilled workers. So the same folks that have been working to actually power our country will be working to clean it up. And I think we need to take steps like that. Um, I wanted to, uh, you were raised, you're born and raised in Montana. You're raised by a single mom. Uh, you have a very fun story where you uh, delivered newspapers uh, to the governor's to, house. To the governor's house. So I've yes. made it four blocks in life. <laughs> I love that. Now, uh, this, you're also one of the, like, about a dozen white guys in the race. And there's, you know, this, you, you know, there's a lot of energy in the party right now between last year behind people of color, uh, women. Yeah. How do you, uh, own your white privilege and what do you you started talking about this a little bit in manny's last night what do you how do you how do you own that and how do you what do you do about that and how do you branch out to hear other communities yeah well you show up and listen first of all and look i recognize first of all it'll be up to the voters to decide what we want out of this but i fully recognize that uh the shot at a better life that i had um even being raised from you know grade school through high school in a single parent household, paycheck to paycheck for part of it. But the shot that I had doesn't exist for so many people in the country now. And for some communities and communities of color, it never has existed mm-hmm. in this country. I would never suggest that I understand all of those experiences or we should be comparing communities of color to different communities of color. But what I'll do is I'll show up I'll listen, I'll surround myself with a diverse staff, and then I'll take action. I can never forget, uh, long before I announced, this is but one example. So we went to uh, Secretary Arnie Duncan, the former Education mm-hmm. Secretary under Obama, is now mm-hmm. part of a program where you're providing young men on the south side of Chicago with the skills and opportunity to ultimately leave their community if they so choose. The community that we were in, 130 shootings in one weekend. Mm. I sat down for four hours with these young men who had talked about what it's like to even live in that community. Would one you, had been shot by 16 that? times. What did you take away from that? I took away from it that the hope is there and the resiliency is still there to make a better life um, and we have to take those steps to do so you can go through area after area as we were talking about Manny's uh, the fact that an african-american family on average makes about 58 percent of what the average non-white hispanic does well these are income disparities that we've got to address and we've got to figure out <clears throat> both what's historical and systemic and what's still contemporary holding folks back and as listeners can hear, you're 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 kind of a mellow dude. Uh, you, <laughs> and in this race, there's like this is a whole spectrum of voices. In the, yeah, you have the you have the orators like Cory Booker. You have the table pounders like Bernie Sanders and people who like uh, Elizabeth Warren and Kamala Harris who use the word fight dozens of times in the in their speeches. How do you assure voters, Democrats, I should say, and others that you have the that you have the fight in you to, to take on President Trump. What, what would your strategy be on that? 
the strategy on a debate stage or just in, in the in the tenor of the campaign? And, sure. Look, and yeah, on the, and yeah. On the look, stage. and he's now normalizing behavior that we have never found acceptable. Right. Uh, the idea that he would be in Japan talking about what a North Korean dictator said about Joe Biden politics used to end at the water's edge. Right. We're now expecting more fundamentally from our preschoolers and our president when it comes to behavior. So I think that how you do it is stand firm, but don't try to out-Trump Trump. Meaning you don't have to become more absurd and confrontational than he is, but call him out when we need to be doing it. And I think that I have those qualities and ability to do that. And I believe, I fundamentally believe that priority number one is beating this guy. And priority number two is actually making it so that this representative democracy is working for us again. And the next president, whoever he or she is, is going to have to build a lot of bridges and heal a lot of divides that this man's created. You're, uh, you think you're going to make the debates? Sure, hope first so. round. You're, yeah. And if you don't, is that does that crippling to the campaign or what? No, I, I don't. I mean, from the perspective of, look, I'm going to control every piece that I can. That's getting out, talking to voters. That's getting out among, you know, we look at, it is a big field. Yeah. If you go back years before, Bill Clinton didn't even announce until October the year before. Yeah. Well, a lot of the political folks are paying a lot of attention to this right now. I think there's still a long way and good things to do. Yeah. Um, spend, I'll spend a lot of time in the early states. I was so pleased right after I announced uh, Barack Obama, one of the first people that endorsed him outside of Iowa was Tom Miller, the longtime attorney general in Iowa. Highest, highest ranking Democrat in yeah, Iowa. Yeah, he jumped on board right away. And we'll continue to get guy. out there, talk to folks, and make the case that not only am I the only person that won in a Trump state, but I've also been able to bridge a lot of the divides and make government work, and I think that's what we need. Governor Bowen, thanks so much for being on this all. Thanks for having me. I'd like to thank you all for listening. I'd like to thank Governor Bullock for being on the podcast. I'd like to thank Libby Coleman for producing today's podcast. And remember, whether you're from a state with three electoral votes or 55, it's all political. It's all political as part of the San Francisco Chronicle Podcast Network. Audrey Cooper is our editor-in-chief. Our music, our theme music that we have is Cattle Call. That's written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Pro Song. If you like this show, subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. For more great journalism like this, subscribe to the San Francisco Chronicle at sanfranciscochronicle.com slash subscribe. You can find me on Twitter at Joe Garofoli. Thanks.